Open your Bibles up. I've just mentioned to you I'm going to spend some of these first weeks as we're moving into the summer just to encourage your faith and uh, build you up. Last week, as you'll recall, we were in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 1. I want you to go ahead and turn there again. I don't have notes for you like I do oftentimes. The reason, I just want you to hear. Faith cometh by what? Yeah, see, faith doesn't come by writing. <laughs> for some of you, you'd fill in all the blanks that I would give you, and you would be diligent to get them all filled in, but, but I, I, you got to hear. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so I really want you to soak, and I want you to hear, and of course you can take notes. I see Andrea with her notepad here, and so that's great, and you can take notes, and God will talk to you, so nothing wrong with that, but uh, I want you to write down uh, what you're hearing and not just what I put down in front of you by way of fill in the blank. Turn back to Hebrews, though, 11, and I'm going to read out of 11, verse 1. And I I'm, I'm, I'm spent last week talking about expectation. You remember what I talked about, what biblical hope is, for those of you that were here? I talked to you about hope in the Bible was not like a wish. You know, for most people, when they say, I hope so, if you ask them something like, uh, are you going to get that job you, you, you filled out the application for? And they say, well, I hope so. That can say a number of things. It, it can say that they, they like it, but they really aren't sure they're going to get it. it. It could be simply, I wish it would work out. Um, but a lot of times it has nothing to do with any sense of confidence. And that's not what biblical hope is. See, if our hope is heaven, that doesn't mean that there's some tentative you know, possibility it doesn't exist. That's not what hope is. Hope in the Bible means expectation. It is a legitimate expectation. And so we spent a good deal of time last week sowing into you how important it is for your faith to work that you have expectation. We're going to continue that, and, and I want to delve into sort of the opposite because what happens is, is most of us have an expectation, but it's a matter of where that expectation is placed. And so we're going to deal with the concept of fear tonight, all right? And we'll explain that a little bit more. But in Hebrews 11, verse 1, I want to go through this slowly again and just remind you of a couple of things. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I'm going to reinterpret that. Faith, or the things that you're believing for, that you maybe cannot see at the moment, but you know God has promised them to you. You know that it's available in God's Word. You know that, that that is something God wants to do. Faith is the substance or the confidence. Everyone say confidence. Yeah. We're going to come back to that. Confidence of things hoped for or things you expect. Following me. Now let's just say it one more time. Faith is the confidence of the things you're expecting. All right? And we're going to start right there. You cannot move very far into the realm of the miraculous unless you come to terms with how faith works in your life. Um, for most of us, I didn't grow up, you know, I didn't grow up under Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland and all the Rama graduates and you know, you go out to Rama Bible Institute and they're going to drill faith into you until that's, that's the only thing you hear out of them is faith, 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 faith. And while they sometimes can be myopic on that 
particular subject, one of the things Tracy and I oftentimes have lamented to one another is that through all of our years of training and all of our years of listening and being inputted into, it seems like we didn't, we didn't get sort of that drilling that we needed in the area of faith. Now, I understand what faith is. I've got faith as far as scripturally what it means. I, I get what is being taught, but there's a whole lot of difference between getting what's being taught and functioning in what has to take place in order to see miracles come to pass. You see, faith isn't theory. Faith has to be reality. And that's the part that's hard because a lot of us got the theory part down. We've got the doctrine part down. But walking in it is a whole nother subject. See, we have no problem believing that Peter, for instance, jumped out of a boat and walked on water. We, in fact, we'd all probably go to the mat defending the biblical stories of miracles. And yet at the same time, when God calls us to step out of our boat, now granted, you may not literally be in a boat, but you know what the boat represents. And so when God calls you to step out of your comfort zone, or when God calls you to step out of your convenience, or whatever it may be, to step on something that by all natural sight looks as if you'll sink, you have to have a confidence and an expectation that what you're stepping on will hold you up. Are you following me? That's faith. Faith isn't having all your ducks in a row and everything's perfect and 16 people have gone ahead of you and have stomped on the water and says it's cool to come out of the boat. That's not faith. That's not faith. And so that's the part we've got to get a hold of because if you want to see the miraculous, oftentimes you're the only one jumping out of boats. And, and so this is a very important subject and through the years it's been an incredibly important subject in our household, uh, you know, I'm obviously I'm called into the ministry. Obviously, I'm a pastor. I mean, these things are obvious. And, um, you know, our whole life has been moments. I mean, I mean, I can tell you there's been faith exercised all along the way on numerous occasions. But I can tell you that there's probably a half dozen times stories you've heard. I'm not going to retell the stories. But there's probably about a good half dozen times, if not a dozen times in my life, and in our life, where God called us to do something he wasn't asking anyone else to do. And if I was going to see a miracle, it had to, it had to move from the theory realm into the action realm. And, and I'm not trying to produce, uh, you know, a, a, a rash decision on, on your part. Everybody's got to come to terms with where they're at, where they're at on their journey. You know, how they believe God, will they believe God? A lot of times God will put things before you and your walk will look different than mine will look. But I will assure you by way of precept, all of us are going to face that moment. We're going to have to make the decision. Are we going to leap or not? Are we going to trust God or not? Are we going to go for it or not? And there comes a moment in all of that. This is how I always weigh it. Because when I get to those moments, because and I'm just I'm just sharing That's I think sometimes if you just kind of share about the spirit, it's better. I don't do that a lot, Scott, but I'm kind of trying to do that more. That, that once you get one faith act under your belt, he always takes you to something greater next time. Now, now I know, amen, amen, I understand. But, but why can't we stay here for a while? I got a victory here. 
It would seem like you'd let me just stay. But you see, that's the key to faith. Once you get a victory, see the first time, let's just give you an example. Just It's an easy example. The first time you finally built up the trust, the faith, the belief, the confidence, the obedience, and you just started tithing. I mean, I mean, you know, you got there and you're going, oh, I can't believe it. it's working and it's going on in my life. And it becomes even easy for you. It's easy in our household. This is not even a question anymore. It's just easy. Then all of a sudden, he starts saying, trust me with more. Now, wait, I have the 10% stuff down, Lord, but now you're adding percentage points here. I mean, I'm just using one example. You know, it's, it's like when he asks you to switch jobs and you go to the job across town and it all works out and God, it was such a God moment and he was in it. And you just go, whoa, wasn't that cool? God did. And then all of a sudden, he speaks to you several years later and he says, I'm not going to take you across town. I'm going to take you across the country. And you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why don't, why don't we just go across town again? Why don't you just bless me by taking me across town again? No, this time he's going to cut you loose from all of your tentacles and family. And I'm just using examples. And, and then what happens is you finally do that. Then he takes you halfway around the globe. So I'm just, he never, he never, re, once you get a lesson under your belt, that's wonderful. But, but he's always calling you to greater faith. That's why the scripture says that we move from faith to faith. There's always more to believe God for. And if we want to see the greater miracles, then it's going to take greater faith. Amen. Now, knowing that, you would think we'd be better prepared for all the things that were thrown, that are thrown at us. But but our major impediment with regards to our confidence is what I want to talk about tonight, and it's the concept of fear. Fear. What keeps most of us from doing uh, over-the-top radical acts of obedience sometimes is just sheer fear. It could be fear of any one of a number of things. Fear of embarrassment, fear of loss, fear of reputation, fear of failure. Uh, just fear won't work out. Anyone, it could be a hundred different forms of fear. But, but fear is what oftentimes keeps us boxed in and locked up and we're unable to see miraculous things come to pass in our life. So it should not surprise us as we go about our life and you're watching the news and you're talking to your friends and your family and most of our conversations revolve around the concept of fear. You know, what, what's... You know, every morning I listen to the traffic on, a, on an AM station here in Charleston. I like to get the traffic report. This one station does a good job with giving the traffic report. And invariably you get, you get, you know, unemployment still at 9%. You know, the housing market's still cruddy. You know, and they'll go on and on. And by the time it's done, what, what happens to your spirit is you say to yourself, even God couldn't move through all of this. It's just, it's all falling apart. And, and, and if you listen to cable news media and you listen to how bad this is and how bad that is, we are sowed uh, fear into constantly. In fact, um, I get just, it's, uh, you know, it's already been mentioned. We've, we've been seeing the tornadoes and the tsunamis and the earthquakes and the volcanoes. Do you realize we're coming up to hurricane season, right? You know, there's some people who get all excited about hurricane season. They get like a buzz over it. I don't get buzzed over hurricane season. You know, they start saying, we're going to have at least, 
10 to 12 named storms. At least three are going to do this, and two will do this, and do 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 do. And you know, and by the time they're done, you need to go get your generator, go get your this, go get your that. And and maybe you should be prepared. And there's plenty of scriptural admonitions to prepare ourselves for for days like that. But you know, here's kind of you know what I started thinking. It's almost like if a hurricane doesn't come our way, are we disappointed? But yet, most of our life is consumed by what shoe's going to drop next. What bill is going to come that I'm not expecting next? Most, most of our life is rooted in our fears. And, and oftentimes, we'll find in the Bible, people missed miracle moments because their life was rooted in a fear. Can I just suggest to you that the rich young ruler, you know, you remember the rich young ruler, Jesus came to him and... Uh, he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you know, keep the commandments and, and, and said a couple of things. And the rich young ruler uh, said, I, and all these things I've done, which we know he couldn't have, but he said he did. And then the Lord said, well, then sell all you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And then all of a sudden you saw the backpedaling. Now, I, we, can, we can speculate as to what motivated him at that moment, but I can almost assure you it was rooted somehow in fear. If I let go of everything I own, how am I going to live? If I let go of everything that I have, how, how am I, how is this going to work? I don't, I don't, I don't see this working. I can't let this go. This is, this is my cushion. This is, this is what I have to lean back on. And what's interesting is that that conversation still goes on with the Lord to this very day. I, I've had conversations with at least two people since I've been here in Charleston who felt like the Lord told them, and, and of course, I'm not going to debate whether God asked them this or told them this or not. I mean, they say it, so I guess we'll find out if it's the Lord or not. But they believe that the Lord said for them to sock away several million dollars and then they'd be loose to serve him. Find me, and all my statement was, find me one scripture that says that. Find me one scripture where God says, for you to lay up treasure on earth and then come serve him. And yet I've heard that twice, that that was somehow the will of God. No, it's not. It's a fear. It's a fear. And who's to say, now we'll never know the end of the story, and I can't guarantee it would have worked this way, but who's to say if that rich young ruler had not have let go of all that he had, that he would not have received 30, 60, 100 fold for what he loosed. We'll never know, and he'll never know either. He'll never know what miracle he missed. He'll never know what amazing moment that might have been waiting for him. He'll never know. And furthermore, Jesus wasn't asking anything of him that he hadn't asked of all the others that were following him. You see, maybe you don't have much. You may say, well, all I've got, I live in a trashy little trailer. I've got a beat-up 30-year-old car that's held together by bailing wire. It's being fixed every other week. I just don't have much in the way of things, and, and, and I'll, I'll let it go, and I'll follow Jesus. And then there's another person over here that lives in this gigantic house. They have two or three beach houses. They have a house at the lake. They have a house over in Switzerland. They have hundreds and millions of dollars. And, 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 and they look and they say, well, I can't. It, it's not the same. Yes, it is. When you let it all go, it's the same for everybody. You may not have much, but what you have, we let it go. We let it go. And that may be, again, why I said it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not to say rich people 
can't or won't or don't get saved. As a matter of fact, I'd like to see a few millionaires get saved. I'd like to redeem a little back tithe. Anyway, we'll let that one go. Fear. 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 Here's what fear is in your life. Fear is an expression of confidence in the words of your adversary or the world. You see, you're going to have confidence somewhere. The question is, are you going to have confidence in what the enemy says? Are you going to have confidence in what the world says? Or will your confidence be in what God says? This is how sometimes it works. It's when you're convinced that whatever thought or speculation or word that has come into your mind that is outside of what God has said is true, that's what you're going to believe. That is called a fear. I'll just give you examples of how people live in fear. They go to work and the economy's bad. I can tell you this has happened probably untold numbers of times in the last two or three years. People have gone to work. They've heard the economy was bad. There are layoffs and they go to work and the whole time they're at work, they're thinking, when am I, when am I going to be laid off? I'm going to be the next one that's going to lose my job. And they probably have spoken it somewhere. They probably said, you know what? The day's going to come. I know it's going to come. I know they're going to let me go. I know, I know it's going to happen. I'm hearing what they're saying on the news. I know what they're saying around the water cooler at work as if that's accurate. I know. And what happens is, is the more you speak it, the more you think it, the more you dwell on it, the more you meditate on it. What happens is, is it literally becomes a deed in your heart. You begin to believe it, you speak it, and then it manifests. You're laid off. And many times people will go, I knew that was going to happen. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Well, why don't we all celebrate now that you just saw a miracle in the realm of fear. That really is. It's a miracle in the realm of fear. Because what you did with your fear is what the Bible says you should do with your faith. But we let our fears consume us. And every, I've, I've come to this conclusion that every struggle in your life, yes, every struggle, will boil down to a fear versus faith struggle. Which one will win in your life? Because you see, you, you can have, you can have the struggle for a while, but there's going to come a moment that one of those is going to win. Either your fears will win or your faith will win. They will not exist together in the same place for long. And again, I want to say it, that your fear works on the same principles that faith works under. It's what Job said. Many people, uh, they don't understand Job. I came to understand years ago, you know, the Bible said that Job was a, a godly man. He practiced covenant. Apparently his family was in good order. And then all of a sudden, his life just spirals out of control. You know the conversation between Satan and God. And, uh, you know, Satan says to the Lord, well, why shouldn't he be happy? You know, he's got everything. And if you were to if you were to uh, take away that stuff, I mean, he'd leave you. And so the Lord allows this happening to take place. Now, many people teach Job, the book of Job, out of God's sovereignty. They oftentimes teach it, you know, God's sovereign, and sometimes God, you know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. And that's how they teach the book of Job. Now, you may be able to teach the sovereignty of God, 
But don't teach it out of Job too quickly before you realize that in Job chapter 3, verse 25, this is what Job says. Job 3, verse 25, he says these words. He says, the thing that I have feared the most has come upon me. That one verse, I think, interprets the whole book. Because there was something in Job. He was loving God. He was doing right. But he was functioning out of a fear. And that fear was seized upon. And all of a sudden, it manifests the very thing uh, that he had uh, speculated would take place. You've heard people say that all through your life. They feared a certain outcome. I knew that would happen. I just knew. I mean, we never say that about the word. I mean, when we get a miracle, it's like we're going, oh, my God, I can't believe it happened. <laughs> you know, that's our, that's our phraseology. I can't believe it happened. But yet when something bad happens, we go, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Does that not seem backwards? It ought to be when something bad happens, we should say, I can't believe that happened. And then when something comes because of our faith, we should say, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. That's how God wants it to begin to work in our life. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that there won't be challenges in your life. You know me well enough to know there are going to be challenges in your life. I mean, we live in a fallen world. Uh, we still have a carnal heart. You know, we live with challenges. So, so this, isn't, this isn't automatic. This is, this is why our mind is constantly renewed. This is why we're constantly reading God's Word. This is why you've got to plant yourself in the house of God. Because at least on Sunday, and hopefully you'll come on Wednesday, and maybe you'll get to connect groups, and then you'll find yourself being constantly renewed in your mind to the promises and the ways and the will of God until finally it's so, it's so uh, in you. That, that when challenges come, you're no longer looking at the challenge and saying, oh, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. But what you'll begin to say is you'll begin to say, I'll speak to that mountain and say, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it shall be moved. So you're following me. All right. It, it's remarkable. I've been amazed through the years, you know, the people that have practiced, you know, positive confession have been made fun of. You know that to be true. We've called them the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. And we make fun of them. And, and yet it's amazing how many people we know that confess their fears and we think that's normal. I've, I've said, I've told the story again. My, my, uh, uh, my wife's uh, grandmother had a, uh, well, deathly, I call it a deathly fear of being put into a nursing home. She was not going to go into a nursing home. She said literally for years. I was, of course, married to Trace and in the family for years. I heard it innumerable times. She said, don't you ever put me in a nursing home. If you put me in a nursing home, I won't live like 30 days. I forgot. It might have been 60 days. I forgot the number. I won't live. You put me in a nursing home, I won't live 30 days. I won't live 30 days. She said that for years. And the time came when we could no longer care for her. I mean, it was just, it was, it was physically impossible, literally impossible. And we had to put her into a nursing home. And, and we remarked to this day. And again, I think it was 30 days. She said it was a 30 day thing on the 29th day. Now she was found dead on her bed. She had her Bible on her chest, amazingly enough. Now she was a godly woman. Don't mistake. I mean, she loved Jesus. She's a Christian woman. Read the Bible every day, taught Sunday school at a Baptist church for decades. So she, she, she knew the word, but she had confessed her death until on the 29th day. I honestly believe she could have lived 
much, much longer. I've, I've seen that happen more times than I can count. People just, they begin. That's why you've heard me say, I'm going to be in my mid-90s. I'm going to be preaching the gospel. I'm going to be in my mid-90s. I'm going to preach the gospel. I hope some of you are here with me. I've had a couple of you that are, are, are some of my older saints that have looked at me and said, Pastor, I don't know that will happen. You know, we may not be here. I understand. I understand. But for some of you, you can be here. I'm looking at all of you over here. You can be there, right? When Pastor's 95, Jessica, you drag your husband in here and make sure you're here on my 95th birthday. And you can say, I remember, Pastor, when you were 50 years old. How old are you, Jessica? What's 18 plus 45? Come on, you're a high school graduate, man. Do, do that without a calculator. Was that 63? Jessica, can you imagine? You'll be 63 years old. Jessica, you are old. <laughs> She's going to come. She already, you heard her. She's going to be here. What, what, what do you say? I know you can laugh, and I'll be 95, and you'll be dead. You say, well, I'll be in heaven. Well, that's wonderful. I'm going to heaven too. But I want to do some kingdom work while I'm here and be profitable for the Lord. Okay? I want to go to heaven too. All right? But, but I want to run my race. All right. How do, how do, we, how do we begin to deal with all of this in, in about ten, the ten last minutes that I have? How do, we, how do we break out of our fears and get back into our faith? couple things I want to just share with you. Number one is you got to resist. You can write down on your notepads. You got to resist what the enemy throws at you. The Bible says that if we resist the devil, what? Resist the devil and he will flee. What's the first verse of that goes? It was to say, humble ourselves, submit ourselves to God. Yeah. Resist the devil and he will flee. So, so you're going to have to learn to resist things that are thrown at you. You can't be passive with your fears. You can't be passive with these thoughts. In fact, the biblical concept of suffering, I've taught you this before, the biblical concept of suffering is really resisting. Whenever you resist the enemy, there's suffering involved. Now, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. I'm walking with the Lord, but I'm suffering. And they'll ask me, how do I stop suffering? And my answer is quit resisting the enemy and the suffering will stop. Listen, now did you hear what I just said? That's why, that's why when people back up on the Lord and they go back into the world or they back up in a compromised position, things are always better for a season because they quit resisting. So I've, I've talked to people in a backslidden state and they'll look at me and say, I'm better now without Jesus than I was when I was serving him. Well, sure you are because you've ceased resisting the enemy. And the minute you cease resisting him, sure he'll let it be easier for a while as he ensnares you and drags you to the place of destruction. All right. Now, this is something we got to get into our systems. It's again, it's a truth and advertising point. When you get saved, you signed up for some suffering. I'm not going to tell you it's all happy, peaceful, wonderful. It's, there's some suffering involved. Why? Because you're in a fallen world. You've got an enemy who is mad. He's mad as himself. He's mad as the devil. He's mad as himself. 
at you because he no longer has you and he's going to do everything he can to stop you from abundancy and prosperity and freedom and all the things that God promises and he's going to throw everything he's got at you and if you don't resist it, if you don't resist it, what happens is, is you'll be taken out. So, so remember, suffering has to deal with resistance. So we're going to have to learn to resist and that's just a part of the walk. We need to tell, we need to tell baby Christians, early Christians, hey, just suck it up. There's resistance to this thing. You have, you have joined up in a resistance movement. We are in a, we are the army of God and we are the resistance movement in the earth. All right. But I'm going to give you some practical things here. Number one, locate everything that's feeding your fears and remove them. Look, if something's feeding your fear, you got to remove that somehow. If, 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 if listening, you know, there was a time that I had to, I had to just stop listening to talk radio. I just had to stop for a time until I got my perspective right. Now, I will listen to it now on occasion because I got, I got it now. But there was a time that I could tell that was souring my disposition because I was listening to all the yin-yang. You, and you've got to identify what's feeding your fear and remove it. If there are voices, situations, that sometimes there are work situations and, and maybe you have to be there for a while, but it's, it's feeding your fears and you're saying this is not a good situation, then why don't you pray about it and believe God and ask what faith act you might have to take in order to move from where you are to somewhere else. But, but you, but you got to cut the source off that's feeding your fear. Number two, you got to filter fear out of your vocabulary. Remember when I earlier said that most people don't think about how they think? Most people don't think about what they say. So pay attention to what you're saying because your mouth will betray what's in your heart. If you, if you want to know what's in your heart, just listen to how you talk after a while. It, it'll, it'll eventually, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. So if what comes out of your heart is, you know, it's terrible, it's falling apart, it'll never be any different, and that, that, well, that's, that's what your deed is, because that's where the deed is kept, the title is kept in your heart. And your mouth betrays, or your mouth unveils, what it is that you have a deed to. So begin to choose. Now you say, well, how do I stop that? You've got to choose what comes out. Now listen, again, you can't break decades of fear talk with minutes of faith talk. You put some things in motion, all right? You can, you can do your work. You can, you can break the power of the words. You can put the cross in the center of it, seek forgiveness, do your repentance, make the changes. But you gotta, you gotta get some, you got to get some mileage now with your faith confession. Get, get some time with that. Give it some time, and you'll begin to see things changing. Um, number three, I put down here, imagine or meditate on the truth of God's word and not your circumstance. I understand how easy it is to be in a bad circumstance, and that's all you see with your natural eyes. So that's all you think about because you're seeing it with your eyes. It's bad. I admit it's bad. You admit it's bad. Well, if any two agree on earth that it's bad, it's bad. Exactly. Exactly. So how do you change that? You got to quit looking at a circumstance and you got to get your eyes back onto your promise. What's more real, your circumstance or what God has said? This is important because your circumstance is always subject to change. Isn't that true? 
I, I pick on Scott because he's just a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Everybody ought to get to know Scott. He really is a nice guy. But Scott, I'm just, I'm, I'm, this is this is important because you have lived long enough. I don't know how old, how old are you, Scott, by the way? 40? See, you're, you're a young man still. See, 40, you'll be 85 when you come see me at 95. That's right. You'll be 85 years old. But you've lived long enough to know that your circumstances have changed. I mean, if, if, if I quizzed you and I went back into your 20s and into your 30s, I'll bet I could find some anecdotal stories in your life where you would tell me, Pastor, that was bad. That was bad. Is that true? That, that wasn't a word of knowledge. That's just human experience. That's human experience. But, but what happened? Those circumstances changed, right? They're not the same circumstances. Now, maybe God didn't have anything to do with it, but they still changed. Why is that important to realize? Because every circumstance you are in right now is subject to change. Everything. Everything. There was a t I, I hate to admit this. I remember just a year or two after we got into a mall. I got into, I got into this mall. I got into a funk. Pastors get in funks. I hope that doesn't bother you. But I figure you can gain from my pain, right? Will you listen to me and I can help you? Because I've been. Because if I've already been hit by God's two by four, wouldn't you like to avoid that? Just take my beating instead. Thank you. I'd like to think that my beating was purposeful. But I remember I got in a funk and I remember saying to myself, and, and, and every now and then this thought will try to creep its way back in. I'm going to be in this mall forever. 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 And what do you look at every Sunday? What do you see every Sunday? No, no, I understand. I hear what some of you are saying. You're, you're on down the road. I understand. But, but, but I'm making a point. It's because you see it. Can I say in our congregation, though, it's real, this is really an important point probably because, you know, you guys come to this place too. And this is what you see. And if God's taking us somewhere else, then we've got to see something else. Not just what we see with our natural eyes. So we've got to say, well, how do you do that? That's why I put that thing out there for no one else but for me on that wall where it says, imagine, and that picture. Now, I don't know that the church is going to look exactly like that, but all I need, I can get a focal point with my eyes and say, I see what's here, but that's what I, that's where I'm, that's where my faith is moving. Are you following me? Some of you need to cut things out of magazines and put them on your refrigerator. God's called you to something different. He's called you to something that's important and, and needful. Maybe, maybe you're renting right now, and, 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 and you know God wants you to have a house. I believe it's not an unreasonable thing to have a house. Now, I mean, maybe ten houses is much, but one house is not unreasonable. Well, you could cut something out of a magazine, put it on your Put it on your refrigerator, and you may be living in this, this, this trailer, but, but despite what you see, you see. So you got to meditate on these things. Instead of thinking about how you're going to die, you need to think about how you're going to live. And, and can I just tell you, this is the hardest thing, particularly in sickness. I was thinking the other day, and I'm running out of time. But when you're sick... I'll never forget when I had that flu, honey, recently. 
And you know, I tripped. I actually passed out and hit my head on a thing. And it was actually a it was a stool that was at our bar, our stool. <laughs> I don't have a bar at home. I don't. Uh, makes it sound like I got a bar at home. No, I don't have a bar at home. But that's what you call it—a bar stool. Isn't that what you call it? But I don't have a bar at home. But I did, but I had to cancel a meeting that I was supposed to go to, and I and I uh, and I told the guy I was just sick, sick as could be. It was Manning Strickland. And I couldn't go to the meeting, and so Manning, Manning had to make my excuses uh, with the congregation up there in Spartanburg, and and he sent me the tape because he wanted me to hear it, and he said, uh, okay, "This is how he did it. This is exactly how he did it. I'm going to get him back for this too somehow." But he said, he said, Pastor Bear called me and said that he couldn't be here because he passed out and he fell into a bar stool. I said, Manning. Manning, this one isn't over yet. This one isn't over yet. But when you're sick, my point is I got away from my point. <laughs> that, that probably wasn't anointed right there, but we're getting back to an anointing right now. When you're sick and you're, you're at the porcelain altar, and, and I'm just here to tell you, I don't know how you get sick, but my sick ain't pretty. I mean, every fiber of my being just tenses up and it's just, oh, it's terrible. I would rather cut me before I get sick. Just cut me. I just, I'd take 10 hypodermic shots before I would want to get sick. I hate it. And the only thing worse than getting sick to your stomach, there's only one thing worse than getting sick to your stomach. It's 30 seconds before you get sick to your stomach. That's the only thing that's worse. And, there's, and you know it's coming. And you know every muscle in your body is going to tense. And you're just, you know it's going to be the worst thing in the world. And I can, oh, and when I get sick, I can't just get sick once. When I get sick, it's, it's going to be at least a dozen times. Because it's just like my body gets in that. I don't get sick often. But, but when it happens, but when it happens, it is not pretty. And I cannot tell you how many times you're at the porcelain altar. I have done this. Oh, just every fiber of your being. And I'm going, by his stripes I am healed. By his stripes I am healed. Then finally I start saying, oh God, take me home to heaven. Just take me. If you're gonna, if you're gonna kill me, just get it over with and take me. I'm not joking. That's exactly how it is. Oh God, don't tease me with it. Just take me. And can I just say this, when it's all over, there's no better feeling than that 30 seconds. Is that not true? But I'm just telling you, 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 you have got in the most intensive circumstances learn how to not look at what is happening in front of you, but you've got to remember what God has said. And even, in the, even as funny as that sounds, there's something inside of me that keeps saying, I'll, I'll get through it. You'll, you've got through it before. You'll get through it again. You'll get through it again. You'll get through it again. I'm going to stop right there. Can I just say, this is the word of God for you. You will get through it again. Wherever you're at, whatever's going on, whatever challenge you're facing, it may be the worst one. What did he say? And you'll get through it again. Stand with me, will you?